Hello, hello, and welcome back, you guys. Whoop, whoop. Back to Murder, Mayhem, and Chaos with Batshit Crazy April. <laughs> um, thank you guys for joining this week. This would be number two episode of this little side series um, I have been always wanting to do. Um, but I've also, you know, I do another podcast and some other things. And so I just haven't really ever been like, all right, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and maybe we'll just talk about something specific. And so I chose serial killers and more in that department of crime. So last week's episode or two weeks ago, I'll be doing these every two weeks for now and they'll be releasing on Mondays. You can find them on all of the, the main streaming platforms. But um, yes, every other Monday, I will be uh, releasing this Murder, Mayhem, and Chaos episode. You will also find um, the other episodes on Project BFA um, that you can definitely tune into as well. Um, so today, today, you guys, last week's was a motherfucking doozy, but he he is more of one of those that you know, not, not a lot of people know about because they weren't allowed to prove a lot of things, but he just did some, you know, the things he did. I'm also a female and I could just imagine that this next one is, I say he's, he's probably a little bit more on the famous side than I really wanted to like do, but I thought I knew about this person and his killings and stuff like that. Um, but it's kind of hard when your whole life, mostly it's all, it's been about the main, like little group of main ones so I just thought that like oh he just did this and this not that I'm comparing and being like oh not a big deal I've just meant I thought he had more of a specific crime that he committed and he didn't he did not um so today's episode is of course as always a really fucked up individual trigger warnings for um adult content um talking about sexual things um basically just very explicit explicit content uh warning wanted to throw that in here which you guys should probably maybe maybe you should know by now I guess if you're just barely catching this podcast and maybe you've only listened to the other episode and you have never listened to me before on anything then you might you might not know but um I like to tell the stories fully and not technically like full on graphic, but I do. I get into into the details and stuff, and most of it is to is to talk more about. Eventually, too, I'll be doing other episodes about the different things that make these serial killers or kind of the whole made or they born that way, like things and the things that intrigue me about them um, is what my main point of all of this is, and so. Um, when you get to learn about some of them, you're just like, how, what, how does a human being become basically not a human being because they just do vile and awful things to, to humans? Like it's, it's crazy to me, but it is so intriguing. So anyways, today is, like I said, another, another fucked up one. And we, um, and you'll see why at the end of this, but this one's also a scarier one because I right off the bat after I I learned a little bit more about this was like um he definitely has more victims out there that they probably just haven't you know just like the last episode last week's last time's episode um 
they didn't find like any bodies hardly well they didn't find any bodies and then a couple of people survived but um yeah that's kind of crazy to think that that there is remains out there and people who have lost their lives that anyways that we might not ever know um but he's another one of those so today's episode is on Richard Ramirez he is what considered it or his name, he was in the 80s, 85 to be exact, is uh, was the Night Stalker. That's the main one. That's the one you'll see. You'll see documentaries on that. Um, he had a few other names, kind of depending, because he did um, end up committing some crimes in San Francisco. So it's, you know, it's a little bit different um, place. And so they named him something else. Anyways, this one, he is so messed up. And but this one intrigues me, and I'll probably talk about it a little bit more at the end, just because when some some serial killers in my mind, when they don't have, when they're like a sporadic, crazy, uh, by the second killer, but they are also like a sexual, um, made, you know, mastic, oh, I can't think of that word. I'm trying to use big words, but basically like they're in that, um, that really bad spot of like having all the triggers and stuff like that. But usually it's like sexually motivated. They have a type, I would say, um, for the most part, I know there's a lot, there's some out there that, you know, you're like, oh, they didn't really care as long as they were females or whatever. This, ugh, ugh. He, he goes from men and women and to children. So that's why there's another big trigger warning here. Um, which is even crazier to me. Just like the, that he has like all the, like every form of a serial killer, like being, um, a pedophile, being, um, a sexual rapist, being, a a deviant, like, um, like murderous, like heinous murderer, like having all of it all around. Um, and then I'm going to talk about them a little bit, obviously, but and I'm going to get to the point. I'm sorry. I'm taking forever. Um, like he doesn't really have the indicators growing up. Like he has some, but anywho, I'm going to start talking about him and he just, he's another one that just intrigued me. Cause I'm just like, how did you get to there? And I guess I can kind of understand, but the scale of a serial killer that he was on it blows my mind I'm like it's such a big variety like how scary and that is another thing in this that you'll know um people were terrified I mean apparently gun cells went up um guard dogs um because so this is this is the this is the story of Richard Ramirez. He was born in 1960, February 1960 in El Paso. So he was born in El Paso. He was the fifth child of a Mexican immigrant family and his dad was first generation immigrant. So his dad was the first to come over to El Paso and establish and work really hard. And from what I've heard his dad was very militant, very strict. Um, not any like abuse though. And like they grew up in lower class, but it, they were okay. And like they, they, you know, they had it like decent yards and their houses looked okay. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like super what you would consider, you know, run down kind of like ghetto, like, like he grew up pretty low income, decent, again, strict family. 
Um, yeah, no, like I said, no signs of any physical abuse or any type of abuse. I mean, I'm sure it was probably hard living there when you just have strict parents. Um, I know they followed like the Mexican culture very closely. And I know some cultures can be really um, adamant in the way things are done and how you live and so forth and so on. Um, although, so, and at five years old though, he did get hit in the head by a swing. I'm assuming maybe it was a wood swing, obviously, because it knocked him out. And then apparently it obviously caused brain damage or affected a part of the brain because it basically created epilepsy. Um, now there you have, a a traumatic brain injury or, you know, traumatic head injury, which causes brain trauma and it probably messed it up. So you do kind of have that factor. I kind of, I found that a little bit later on in the research that I was like, okay, so you do have like a head trauma now in a young kid and creating epilepsy. Like that's a really difficult disease to live with. Um, but by all accounts, he was a really nice kid, a really good kid. Kids in the, like there was some girls in the neighborhood that were like, he, yeah, he was just a normal kid. He just, just to hang out with us and he was really nice. Um, but about like, I don't know, 10 years old, um, he had a cousin named Mike who served in the Vietnam War. And he started hanging around him. I honestly don't know. Didn't really say like, like, I don't know how he would just come to start hanging out with him at such a young age unless like the parents dropped him off. But like you would think if he was in the war, so he would, he would have been a little bit older and like, I don't know, to not have parents around, but either way, this cousin started introducing him to some hard core, like traumatizing, um, rape, torture, um, killing, mutilating, like, like photographs of women over in Vietnam, which blows my mind that people have in their possession stuff like that. And I know that it's quote unquote history. And I know that a lot of people don't believe that that stuff happened. Like the American people, American soldiers could go over there and do some crazy, but War is a war is hell, you know, hell on earth, which I feel like we already live there, but it it's a whole nother level that people can't describe of surviving and doing anything and everything in your power, literally just to survive. But some people go crazy. Some people also already have these tendencies and have shit to happen and they go over there and it's in the culture that you're going. Some people went to war and like, maybe it was already part of their culture. Like, they already did that crazy shit. Anyways, he started ex- exposing him to a lot of that, a lot of porn. Um, he would, you know, have him, they were smoking weed, they would be drinking. And so at a younger age, obviously when you're first maturing too and developing into your like, um, like pubescent years when you will start, you know, hormones and stuff, they're a huge impact. When you're a toddler, like age, like up, like about up to age three, not that you can recall, but you have people or your experiences and, and what you learn is not only the fastest ever in your life, but you retain that stuff so quick and it, it, it does start forming you as a person, I believe. And then when you're right there, the pubescent, right before you start the hormone, like having your hormones and everything, 
your body and your mind and everything is so influenced by everything around you. And of course, cause your emotions are all over the place and you're starting to figure out what, how do you like, what is a human being and how do I be a human being and what kind of human being? I mean, it's us adults complain about having life issues. Like, come on, we're like, they're just, they're just barely starting to figure things out that they're, you know, <laughs> that they have emotions and shit's crazy. Um, so it was really, really influential on him when and then and then you could start seeing where he would be slipping in school and he started hanging out with more of the um rougher crowd as they would say you know drug users didn't really go to class uh just you know drinking and doing and doing drugs uh I, I, cocaine was the main the main drug that they had that people had said that he was into and then at 13 years old his stupid fucking cousin mike actually shot like while Richard is in the room like right then and there in the living room the cousin and his wife got in a fight and the cousin pulled out a gun and shot her point blank in the fucking face and killed her right in front of him and psychologists and people say that at that moment though it was like too late because it wasn't like that shocked him or that he was terrified or scared or like what the fuck he actually was like oh I'm so intrigued. I'm intrigued about a dead body on the ground right now, a dead woman. Um, like even got, you know, more intrigued about like her wounds and basically a person that just died anyways. So he, in my opinion, had been exposed to much of that point where it's too late. Um, now it's crazy to me though, that just the cousin. I mean, it's not crazy, crazy, but to only have the main factor that the cousin showed him some stuff at 10. I mean, I think the head injury, maybe having epilepsy and dealing with all of that, maybe because that has a lot to do with neurological, but mental and stuff like that too. Um, it is neurological, but maybe that was also really hard to deal with. And I don't know, like you just get wrapped up in doing drugs and drinking and you're young and you're super, you know, influenced and, you know, I kind of think like, oh, maybe his parents were really, mili you know, his dad was so militant and probably gone all the time and stuff like that, that like, he just didn't really have like the household that would necessarily also like be a good influence on him. They were just more like, you need to do this shit. Um, so I guess it could, it could be, it's not abusive, but it's more of like, in my eyes, like a neglect factor. So maybe that with this, but whatever it was, even if it was just the cousin showing him these god awful things and getting him down this whole path of life turned him because... Um, from what we know, so at 13, he saw that and he was like, mm, yeah, I like that, which is just awful. So he did drop out of school in ninth grade. So I would assume that like right after that happened. So 13 years old, 14, I think you're like the ninth grade time, 15, like high school. So right around or after that, he did drop out and he, um, he basically just like, he was out, he doesn't live on the streets yet, but like he was just gone all the time. And, um, he got like first time busted, like first time he was arrested or whatnot, but obviously he's still under 18 and it was cause he had pot or whatever. So he kind of starts getting in a little bit of trouble. And then, so that was in 1960 when he was born. So 1977, so he's 17, um, he moved to LA. And at this point, um, he starts living on the streets and mostly living on Skid Row. If anybody doesn't know, sorry, one second. if anybody doesn't know what Skid Row is, 
it is a street. Well, now it's a whole fucking 10 blocks, I think. I don't even know now because the world, you know. Um, it is was a street started out where the homeless was. But, I mean, it's rough. Like, I mean, there's just out in the open drug use and murders happen. Like, I mean, it really, really rough. And now, it's like I said, it's taking over like blocks and blocks. And they're basically just living life out there. And so he lived out there because he could have his drug habit and had a place to stay, I guess. He uh, apparently at this point, I'm assuming, stopped taking any type of showers. Um, Because that became like a big thing in all of this is like the stench coming off of his body, like death. Um, so anyways, living in the street, his addiction's getting really bad. He started breaking into cars. He started breaking into, like, I'm sure he broke into, like, sheds and, like, certain places and would steal what he could. Um, I feel like he probably started doing some breaking and entering into homes at this point, but it's kind of hard to say when he's a little bit, you know. I mean, I guess he's a little bit older. Um, he was arrested in 81 and 84. So, and I, so I wrote down on there, so three, four, so like, you know, seven. So, you know, mid, like right around like what, 21, 22 in that area. Well, 24. Yeah. Anywho, he did get arrested. So for theft, for auto theft. So he's probably obviously big in, in distilling cars. Um, he, uh, yeah. So in 1981 and then 1984, it was like January, 1984, he got auto theft. He was actually arrested and took it, taken in, uh, again, cops or people that arrested him said like his smell his stench was just so so bad and his teeth were all rotted out he was just very awful looking um fast forward another year so 1985 saint patty's day march 17th 1985 um some detectives are called to a house with um a shooting so one person dead, one person survived, and that was all they knew at that moment. Um, when they got there, there was the there were basically roommates. There was a Maria Hernandez. She was 22 years old. Um, she was like in the kitchen and just shot like point blank in the head. So what the investigator said is it looked like she was kind of hiding, cowering behind the counter probably because she knew he was in there maybe and she had nowhere to go and then as soon as she like popped her head up he he killed her and then we they realized the survivor what had happened is she had come home and come into the drive or come into the garage and when he was going out and leaving he they met face to face and he shot her but she put her hands up and she had her keys in her hands and the bullet ricocheted off the keys. So it didn't end up... Well, there was a little bit of blood. So I don't know if it ended up hitting her hand a little bit. But basically, missed her head or anything. And she was able to run off. And she was able to get help. And then she uh, was not able to give any like description, really. They didn't have any evidence. It was a twenty-two caliber twenty-two caliber weapon that was used. Um, and that was pretty much all that she was, be able to, what she was able to say. Now, remember, 85... You aren't going to have very good forensic, like DNA especially, but because that wasn't until the early 90s. But like um, fingerprints were okay, but you had to do it old school where like a person had to do like the little microscope thing uh, to be able to look at both of them and identify them. And it basically was a person's job to tell you that they matched. They didn't have any computer stuff at this point. Um, 
But when you also don't have any more information, then it's like, okay, they couldn't do much. Uh, that same night, uh, uh, Veronica Yu, she was 30 years old. She was driving down the street on the way home from work and a car bumped in the back of her, basically ran her off the road, got out and shot her twice in the chest in her car and killed her and then drove off. So these murders, both of them are weird because it's like somebody is going into a house probably to burglarize and he just shoots both of them and then he just runs somebody off a road and shoots her but like doesn't doesn't rob doesn't take anything like no sexual motivation like motive like I don't know like to me I was like that's really strange like I don't know but to me that's really strange and then a few weeks later uh, March 27 okay so almost a month later this is where in my eyes I'm like what shit escalated um there was a couple Vincent and Maxine Zazara they were in there well let's see Vincent was 64 but Maxine was 44 so just a couple sleeping in their bed he the a person comes in Richard breaks in he's able to like always break in through like he even broke in through like a dog door and stuff but he's able to break in through like the smallest open windows or this or I believe that he was able to like I don't know like Jimmy rig with like a knife and stuff or I don't know I think he was he was just able to break in and he was able to be so quiet that he was able to like come into people's bedrooms stand over them he immediately shot Vincent in the head immediately shot him killed him with with a 22 and then he tied up and beat and uh, sexually assaulted Maxine. And then he stabbed her. And I had read that she, after, oh yeah, after she had been like beaten and stabbed and stuff like that. And I think he kind of left her alone. She got the shotgun that was in like under the bed or something, but it wasn't loaded. And he got pissed at her. So he ended up stabbing her more. And then he cut her eyeballs out. Cut her eyeballs out. And it says that there was a jewelry box missing. So they believe that like he put them in the jewelry box maybe. Or who, how, they don't know. They never found them. So you're not going to really know. But he cut her eyeballs out. Like that's quite an escalation. And the sexual assault and all of that. Like even when he went into the roommate's house. And he saw that lady like he didn't there was no like sexual intention and he didn't rob them. The lady in the car. It's so weird to me, but escalation hardcore. So removed her eyeballs and they actually did find a shoe print. Um, sorry, I just my brain for two seconds there. Welcome. Hi, April here. <laughs> um. They found a shoe print outside. It was the Avia shoes, which I guess had just basically recently come out. And they had like an athletic version. And I don't know if they called it athletic. I can't remember what they called it. And then they had like another version. But there wasn't very many out. And it wasn't very, it was brand new brand. So they, they found a shoe print. So they were able to take that. But that was it. Other than that, you're not able to, nobody survived that one. Like there's no other, no other evidence whatsoever. Um, and then also another little side note, one of the detectives had noticed that also basically mostly through the through February and March, 
there was a bunch, there was a few, I don't know how many exact because they didn't really get into details because it was minors, but children that were kidnapped like out of their bedrooms or from out of their yards or whatever, sexually assaulted and then just left wherever. So we didn't, none of them were killed. And one of the six-year-old girls like told the police officers about it and was like talking about what he looked like. And all the children's stories were very, very like stories. And then their, their, um, remembering of what he looked like and telling them and stuff, they were all pretty like exactly the same and the stench and the teeth and the way he looked. And that six-year-old even was like, um, if I need to say something to the judge so that he won't do that to a girl, a little girl, like so awful. She was only six, but so that was also happening and hers ended up being where they found and a via shoe print. Now I might, I need to add that his shoe, it was 11 and a half. So it was a big shoe. So 11 and a half. Well, on the bigger side, uh, a via, I guess that's probably might be a little bit normal for men. Um, but yes, so that is when the detective was like, look everybody. And he was a new young detective that was on the case. And so, and, and then he was with some older detectives that were like, oh, like the main people in, in that homicide, like they, they knew their shit and they got shit done. And so, you know, some of them were kind of like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, I swear. And also people, you know, since there's a 22 at every crime scene, they're like, that's obviously the same person doing the same thing, but it was such an escalation. So they start putting together that more than likely he is also kidnapping these children, sexually assaulting them and then leaving them while he's breaking into homes and Obviously, like this one, he killed the husband first because he knows the threat. And then he did the whole sexual assault. Anywho. So maybe that's where the escalation comes into play. You know, the other ladies, he just shot because maybe he was going in to rob them and they happened to be there and it just didn't work out. You know, he had a drug problem. But then for some reason, he starts kidnapping and molesting children and that amplifies it. And then he still, and then he just starts breaking in for fun, like to see how quiet he can do it and get how close he can get to them. And then he does this, like, I don't know. That's my, my thoughts are that, that maybe he escalated there. And then it was a little while later. So May 14th, uh, Bill and Lillian Doy, um, in sixties, fifties, again, husband shot, so snuck into their house, was able to break into their home quietly, over them while they slept and he shot the husband right there shot him while he was asleep and then same thing tied up uh Lillian tied up the wife beat her um he would always like physically beat like with punching and stuff like that uh because there are some survivors um but they said that that's you know with his hands and stuff like that um sexually assaulted her um, but she did survive. Now she also, they said something about maybe a little bit of a handicap. So I don't know exactly what that meant. Um, but they did say that she had a handicap, um, which is even sad, sadder. The whole thing's fucked up. So May 29th, this is where you have two 80 year old sisters, 80 years old. Um, the first sister, he beat to death with a hammer. Now, hammer was in the house, so he doesn't, like, bring this stuff with him. So, beat her to death with a hammer. And then the other one who also, I don't know if she was just mostly older, um, but they called her, they call them invalids, and I should have looked that up. That was, like, probably the proper term for maybe, like, physically handicapped or 
something where they can't really do much for themselves. Anyways, she, so Maybelle and Florence, she was sexually assaulted and also beat with a hammer, but she survived, which is just so nuts. Oh, and on this one, there was a pentagram drawn above her on the wall. So now just some other random, like a pentagram showing up. They didn't find this in any of the rest of the crime scenes. Um, They're kind of tying this one in because of just the way you know, he comes in, he does this to one, he does this one to the other. Um, he usually ransacks the house, but I'm sure a lot of these people don't have valuables. And so he doesn't find much. Um, he did attempt to kidnap a woman, but she got away and then he took off because she probably fought him off. He took off and then eventually got pulled over for a traffic violation. He, he was speeding and pulled him over and he ran from the police and he was able to get away and like before he ran he drew a print he drew a pentagram pentagram in like the dust on like the dashboard or whatnot so you kind of have like another sign that like here's the same thing showing up and he tried to kidnap a woman just driving around and they're stolen vehicles by the way and i should have i mean it's not like it's a very apparent but he you know auto theft was his main thing so he's been stealing all these cars and breaking into random people's houses um, but they never caught him, which is just nuts. So, uh, May 30th. So the next day, um, a 42 year old mom and her 11 year old son, um, he tied both of them up and then he just ended up beating, doing his MO on the mom, um, uh, beat, beat her, sexually assaulted her. And then he actually, um, they both survived. I would imagine that with the further stories that come out, For most of them, like he would drag somebody around too and be like, tell me what your valuables are. So he just liked to terrorize people too, which is just a whole nother level. So terrorizing, assaulting, sexually assaulting, raping, like just the full works of it and, and getting rid of like the main, you know, um, somebody that could stand up to him and stuff like that. It's just, and then, but then like two 80 year old women, like what the f like what what like it's the range is so crazy to me so kids and then all the way up to 80 year olds it's it's crazy um so so yeah he attempted to kidnap and then yeah so the 11 year old they both survived um that one um july 2nd so there was sometimes it seems like there's a little bit of a skip and then he like boom 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 granted these are all happening quite frequently when most serial killers they killed over so many years or got away with it or even if they made it up to five six you know whatever some made it 30 years um their body counts are high but you know it was like every few months and then sometimes they would be like one and then they'd have like three but this is like uh, consistent um so July 2nd, Mary Cannon, she was 75 years old. He beat her. He came in while she was sleeping, took the lamp off of the nightstand next to her, beat her um, almost to death. So beat her with the lamp unconscious and then went and got a kitchen knife, like one of her knives out of her kitchen, and he did slit her throat. 
So another like escala- uh, escalation, they did not say anything about sexual assault on that one. And again, just ransacked the house. So that's obviously his MO, but it's, it's weird to me too that like it's not, it doesn't seem like it's specifically sexually motivated. It's like he has all of the features, but maybe the drugs and the drug addict and that kind of stuff and just living that life. And, and obviously being introduced to that kind of stuff, like, but it's crazy that not every single one of them are sexually assaulted or all the females at least. Um, so anyways, just another kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, and I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't want that to be happening to anybody, but I'm just saying it is, it is weird that he's just got like kind of almost different motives or it probably just depend if he was like in a drug fueled rage or whatever was going on in his life, it, you know, like maybe dependent on what he was, how he was going to rob and what he was going to do. It doesn't sound like he ever had a plan though. Like he just randomly picked houses, stole cars, randomly picked houses, went in. And most of the time he wound up finding couples sleeping in their bed or sleeping. July 5th, 16 years old. He broke into her bedroom window. She was woken up by him beating her with a tire iron. So I assume he picked that up outside, uh, beating her in the head with the tire iron. Um, he then left her for a minute. Now, I don't know how he's so quiet and how like parents and stuff didn't hear him, but he left her room and went into the kitchen trying to find a knife. And I don't know why he didn't, or it just said that he went in there and rummaged around. And then he came back in and he went to strangle her with the um, telephone cord. And as he like did some movement and he, I think I feel like he might have had to have other cords. Either way, it sparked and it made him like I'm sure it made him release a little bit. And she took a breath and he said that Jesus must have come down and saved her. And so he needed to let her live. And then he just took off. She had a total like all in all of how many stitches I did. It wasn't how many. They just said it was basically like four feet worth of stitches that she had to have basically in her head. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is a fucking nightmare. But like, thank God that thing sparked because she wouldn't have lived. He would have choked her. To, he would have strangled her to death. Like, oh, oh. Um, July 7th. So a couple days later. So see, they like all of a sudden hit bam, bam. This one was sad because like, you know, her grandkids, like I watched the documentary and just to get a little bit more info and stuff and just like hearing about some of these people, all of them are really sad, but some of these people, you know, their lives and who they influence and stuff. It's just really sad. But she, J- Joyce Nelson, 60 was asleep on her couch. He snuck in sleep on her couch. He stomped on her head and stomped her to death. And I am like a horror movie fanatic and I am all about that kind of stuff. I'm not about that happening to real life people, but I I am obsessed with that. Like that's also obviously murder, mayhem, chaos. Welcome to where we're at. I just have a fascination with how people can do these things. And I have seen some where they have that kind of scene in them. Those are hard. Those are one of those where you're just like, oh, like, I don't know. I mean, all of it's probably hard for a lot of people, but you know, they're 
they're stabbing people, they're shooting people, they're cutting off arm. I don't know. Some of those kind of things, like, yeah, 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 normal. But when you see, like, a head being cr- – something like that, oh, my oh my goodness. But, yeah. And there was a shoe print left, part of the shoe, on her face. So, now, for most of these, they've got the same twenty two caliber, right? If, if, if the shootings occur, which I think is crazy that it's not all – every single one of them aren't shot – um, like the 16 year old girl, like, I don't know, maybe he had the, maybe he always has the gun on him, but he just only uses it when he wanted. But so, but hers, he just stomped on her and then yeah, super on her face. He robbed her that same night. He, uh, Sophie Dickman. Oh, I didn't write down how old. Cause I wanted to write down how old. Cause it's like, it ranges from whatever. It's just like crime of opportunity, which is also crazy because there's very few serial killers. It's like, I mean, I guess it's crime of opportunity, but they usually go out and seek it. He didn't know what he was going to find in the houses. He was just like going into burger lies and then he would do whatever once he got in there. Um, Sophie Dickman, same night. So he handcuffed her. Like, so sometimes there was handcuffs. Sometimes he tied them up to beds, whatever. Um, beat her. Um, it said that he tried to rape her. So I don't know if that meant obviously not successful in whatever way. Um, and then he just stole from her. So, so it's like, he, he just, I don't know. He's just like, he picks depending, um, July 20th, he purchases a machete. So he is now purchasing something. And obviously in my eyes, escalating again, escalating more. Um, he steals a different car at this point. Um, and he broke into Max and Leela Needing's house. Now these were also another couple that was, very much so known in the town and their family. They had a big family and the jobs that they both worked at, they'd been at for 40 years, like just kind of one of those people. So this one was one of those like, holy shit. And by this point is when I was talking about like gun cells going up, guard dogs. It also was in the middle of the summer or starting to be. And it was like a heat wave, like a motherfucker going through and people were then now having to shut their windows and lock their doors. And that was also not something that anybody was used to, especially like suburba suburbia, you know, you're just, you left your doors unlocked. You left your cars unlocked, like all this stuff. Like you just trusted now granted looking back. I mean, the most prolific serial killers were during the seventies mostly, but like starting back, we could go way back, but, and I'll do an episode on that as well. But I mean, it's, it's crazy because they were they were so almost oblivious to things. And I think it's because even law enforcement and technology just wasn't up to date. So, you know, it took a while for people to realize that this was like a thing going on, you know, and then all the children stuff that happened during that time, 70s, 80s, 90s. Anyways, it's crazy. But it was also really hot and a lot of people didn't have air conditioning. So central air or anything. So they just had the windows open. But so while they were asleep, he came in and it says that he used the machete on both of them first. So I'm sure he just comes in like this is where my brain goes. So he just goes in and then just starts swinging. And I guess and it isn't necessarily killing them or I'm sure it's just not fast enough. So he then shoots them with that 22. So he's still using the 22 shoots both of them and kills them. And then he like kind of mutilated the bodies in the sense of like. I guess the gentleman, Max, was like his, he was almost decapitated. So his throat was slit and then being stabbed 
And then I'm sure because the machete can do a lot of fucking damage, he probably just, like, on their bodies. And then he did steal items from them. Um, the next day, so here we go. Like, it just, it, like, clusters, and then it kind of has a little break sometimes. Kind of. He just keeps escalating, and it's just happening more and more and more. Um, and so far, they have the same gun, and they have the shoe print, but they still have no way of having suspects. They just don't have... Nobody's been able to give like a description car, nothing to where they are able to like figure out who this could be. Now, some people had called in, some people had done random stuff like thinking, but you still can't go really go off a lot of that because you don't have a lot of evidence to be like, oh, it is Deborah's ex-husband. I'm using just a random name. Deborah's ex-husband's going around killing people like you can't. It's it, yeah. So, oh, well, basically it was that same night. So it was 415 a.m. the next day, July 21st. So after he killed that couple. And there was another couple, and they also had an eight-year-old boy in the house, uh, warning, this this gets a little bit rougher, which, like, it isn't already fucking enough. Um, he shot the sleeping husband, so again, takes out the threat, uh, beat and raped, sexually assaulted. Now, I guess there's a difference between those two. All in all, it's all fucked up in either way, like, doing anything like that, so... And then, um, had her bound up and what, and then also bound up their eight year old. So she was, what it sounds like is he basically incapacitates some of these victims, right? So he beat her up and she's probably like unconscious on the floor. He ties up the eight year old and this one fucking fuels me of rage of, for anybody in this, ugh, anybody that could do anything to other people. But especially when you start getting into all this shit, it's just like, I want to hurt you. Um, he drugged the eight year old boy around the house, basically terrorizes and was like asking where the valuables are. And I'm sure a lot of these people don't have valuables and how's the eight year old going to know what the fuck is valuable. So I can imagine. And then he did sodomize the eight year old boy. So what he did to the mom, he did to the kid again, huge escalation. Granted, he didn't kill them and he didn't like beat the boy up or anything, which almost falls into the category of the kids being kidnapped, sexually assaulted and left. Like it's that same MO. It's just mind boggling to do them at the same, like, Oh, and so fucking vile. So fucking vile. Um, August 6th, Chris and Virginia Peterson broke into their home. Uh, they were an older, well, they were like in their sixties or no, 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 no. These ones were a little bit, uh, younger. But he startled Virginia. Like, so he, he broke in. He was able to break in, but he startled Virginia. He startled the woman. And when she, like, sat up, he shot her in the face. And this one was now with a twenty-five caliber. So now we're using a different gun. So who knows what happens? Like, who even knows where he got him? Um, he obviously used that one. Obviously, he lost it. Maybe he forgot it. Maybe he just started to get rid of it. Um... And now that I'm thinking about it, there was a point in time, sorry, now I'm like trying to make sure, oh, nope, okay, it's still coming up. So anyway, so a gun change, um, not that he knows, he doesn't know that like they know that there's a same gun, like that they have evidence of the same gun. I mean, maybe he does because of the bullets, but for the most part, he did not know about the shoe print. Like he didn't know that they had that because obviously they were still finding that at some of them. Anyways, Chris and Virginia, so he shot her in the face, 25 caliber, and then the husband woke up and he shot him, 
But like for her, it went through and through it. Like, I think it was like somewhere at the top of one ear out the base of the other ear, but it didn't hit anything vital in her and him. It just hit right, right above his ear. And I'm assuming cause that bone is so fucking hard right there. And there isn't really a lot. It just like hit that and stopped and it didn't end up penetrating to the brain or anything. And it didn't, it didn't like fracture or anything so they both survived and what ended up happening is the husband jumps out of bed and chases after Richard and he's like bleeding everyone he's like bleeding and Richard is like like freaked out almost because he probably didn't expect that and he just like runs out of the house so they did both survive and they were able to give a, a little bit of um identification and what he looked like but at the same time too like how traumatic woken up out of your sleep being shot like and then trying to remember i can fucking imagine you're not gonna remember shit um and then a couple days later um there is elias and sakina abawath i think uh 27 and 30 or 31 27 so a little bit younger again breaks into the house they're sleeping he shoots and kills the husband in the bed and he always shoots them in the head and i'm sure he does that because he wants to make sure they're dead and then um, ties, handcuffs, ties up. Sakina, the wife, beat, sexually assaulted. And at one point, her three-year-old son came in. there. So she had a three-year-old and an eight-month-old in this house, right? Three-year-old son comes in, probably because he can hear stuff. And Richard ties him up. And the lady, the mom, can actually hear him at some point saying something about not being able to breathe. And I don't know if that's just because... Maybe he tied things a little tight or he just because of where he put him anyways. Um, and he was threatening her and he was like, if you tell anybody, if you do anything, I will kill those kids right now. And she was like, I swear to God, I swear to God. And he's like, you don't swear to God. You swear to Satan. So he started making her like, so there's one other one too, but he made, yeah. So he makes them say, um, no, you better, you better say to Satan that you won't. So you can tell that he's obviously now that's coming out that in the pentagrams, like Satan worshiper. And then he left. So, um, she survived obviously the child, which thank God he didn't do anything to the three-year-old. Ugh. Um, and then at this point he takes off to San Francisco for whatever reason. Not sure. Just, he ends up in San Francisco breaks into their house so now he's in a different county and i feel like it took a minute for people to be like oh shit maybe these are the you know so august 18th peter and barbara pan peter pan huh. sorry that's just i thought that was funny <laughs> somebody really is named that um we're sleeping in their bed yeah peter was shot with a 25 caliber weapon so there's that 25 again um in the head killed him and then she was beaten, sexually assaulted, and then he did shoot her in her head, which again, that's, that's part of, that's part of it. Like, I mean, he does that here and there, but, um, that was how he killed her. This one, he did take lipstick, red lipstick and drew a pentagram on the wall again, and then wrote Jack the knife. So there's the pentagram again coming into play and that would obviously kind of tie it in. And then the way, the way the murders happened, um, you know, same, same kind of take out the threat. Um, but that one's a little bit more of an addition. Oh, they did also find the shoe print. So they did find the Avia at that house. So, but you know, at this time it's about making sure that the cities talk to each other and the counties talk to each other. 
um, the detectives, thank God, in L.A. were like, we need to reach out a little bit more and just like double check and see if any other murders resemble anything or are like the same M.O. Um, this is also when the detectives decide. And so they end up figuring it out. Right. That he was down there. And this is also when the detectives decide to look into the shoe. Um, so they're able to find the manufacturer. They're able to go to him, like fly to him and wherever and figure out exactly what the shoe was, what exactly it was like the model make. Then they were like, oh, so many of them, like 17 or something got sent to the United States. And basically in the long run, one pair got sent to L.A., but they were not able to further go with it. They weren't able to find where, like where in L.A. that that thing was sold, that specific one pair. And so that kind of turned out to be like a dead end. Um, But they still have it. So they are able to still tie these murders together. So, you know, it's still a very important one. However, at this time, the mayor of San Francisco, um, I should say that a while back in L.A., at one point, um, a main reporter that was involved in it from beginning to end, she caught wind about the shoe and the shoe print. And she said something to the detectives and he was like, what? What are you talking about? Because, of course, they don't want to give away that information. And she was like, well, I'm going to need a story, basically. And so... They let her like come in and interview them and and basically they traded. They were like, if you don't give out that information and don't write a story on that, please, we'll give you this. So there was at one point where it was about to be the bomb was about to be dropped and he was he would get the killer. Richard was going to be able to find out about the shoe print, but they were able to avoid it. Well, this time around, the mayor of San Francisco did a press conference and literally talked about the shoe print, talked about what guns were used, what weapons, like, oh my Lord. Talk about people saying like screaming at the TV and probably in the audience, like shut the fuck up. And the detectives were not happy. I wouldn't be either motherfucker. And of course, because of that, exactly what happened. Richard threw his 11 and a half avias over the golden gate bridge that exact night. So, he knows, right? Um, so, then on August 24th, so he's only there for a little bit. And I'm sure it's because the the mayor ended up going out the shoes. I believe that if that didn't happen, though, I think if she didn't at least go out and say something, he would have continued to kill in San Francisco for a little while and maybe even just stay there. But I think that she's the one that came out with some stuff. The detectives in L.A. have been hush-hush. And so he was like, oh, I'm getting the fuck out of here. So he went back to L.A. because he also always, always winds up on Skid Row. So back to L.A. And this time he stole a orange Toyota. So he's kind of driving more bright car. Um, He drove to. So at this point, he drove to the home of the Romeros. And um, James Romero Jr. was 13 years old. He had come home late from a camping trip. So his parents were already asleep and he went out. He was like in the garage and then he went outside to grab a pillow out of the truck and he thought he heard something rustling around outside. And he said he went and investigated and didn't see anything, didn't hear anything else. So thought it was probably an animal. He then said he went back into his garage and it said that he started doing something with his bike. So again, probably just like unpacking or whatever, decompressing from the camping trip. And he heard some footsteps at this point, like out around the back of the house. So he went into his bedroom and that is where he sees Richard Ramirez. He actually sees an individual and he runs into his parents. He wakes them up and they scare him off. And the son, 
the James is able to also see the cart, uh, the color, the make and model, and then he gets a partial plate at this point. So, um, that's pretty awesome. So he like called the police, let them know all of that stuff. And then now they have like a possible vehicle, although he is stealing them. So you don't know how long you have. Um, he then ended up, however, didn't mean it stopped anything because Richard drove to another home right that same night, Bill Carnes and his girlfriend, uh, Inez Erickson. He was 30. She was 29. He shot Bill three times in the head. Uh, then he bound and beat and sexually assaulted and dragged her around her house and asked for the valuables and, you know, would, I'm assuming the same things, right? Would tell them if whatever they say, like, don't be doing that to Jesus, like that kind of stuff, I'm sure. Um, and he did. I mean, he did it to more than one person, but obviously some people couldn't tell us. And that's his thing. You know, he'd keep telling them to swear on the Satan and to let them. Oh, and to this one specifically, Inez, he made her swear on Satan again, but to also let the police know that the Night Stalker was here. So that's also taunting. Now that the San Francisco said something, he was able to throw it back in their face and be like, look, the Night Stalker's still around, still doing my thing. Also, they found a new shoe print at that one. So he, he obviously switched his shoes, which we know that now. But a new footprint at that one, even though they still tied them in together as being all the same. And then she was able to give a detailed description about him and with that finding that new footprint. So they did have a little bit more evidence and then they have the car. So they were able to put it out right away that you need to look for this. Now on the 28th. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on one second. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I like flipped my paper over too soon. And I was like, wait, that's not right. Yeah. So the 24th is when he, he like tried to break into that people's house, which thank God that 13 year old heard something. If he would have made it in, he would have done awful things to that family. Dad would be dead. Mother would have gone through that. And he probably who even knows what the kid with the 13 year old. Um, so just four days later, the Toyota is found abandoned. Now, this whole time, they've never been able to find a fingerprint or anything on anything, right? It's just the the shoe print and the caliber of weapon. Um, and then other than that, he uses all kinds of other weapons that are just of use in the house. Um, but they did find one fingerprint on a rear view mirror or on that rear view mirror that he did not wipe down. Um, and then they put it in the system. They found a 25-year-old drifter from Texas. So at this point, yeah, like I was saying, you have several bullets, two guns were used, footprints. Um, but like really other than that, there is not. So you've got this this uh, fingerprint, which fuck yeah, um, which is also another lucky thing, though, because they said that the system that w that came into play was like uh, had just. So the fingerprinting system had just been updated, which it was easier. It was like a system now that you'd put them in and it could match them. However, I didn't think about this part. The system, thank God, put in fingerprints as of January 1st, 1960. So literally a month before he was born. So, or yeah, before he was born. So, and then he, you know, he had been arrested before. So, but basically they were able to like make sure he had his fingerprint in there because it might not have wound up in there. Although he had been arrested. So, 
now that I say that out loud, I'm like, I guess it wouldn't really matter when they were put in there. But either way, uh, the fingerprint system at least was all updated too. And they were able to be like, all right, we found him. Um, on August 29th, they released his mugshot photo of him. Um, and told the press about that that was their Night Stalker suspect and they were looking for him. Well, he, um, had gone to Phoenix or to Arizona, not Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know where to visit his brother, which also makes me suspicious that maybe he's not doing this kind of shit when he's visiting people and stuff. Like I didn't even, you know, I don't know how much of his family he saw and he was so gross that like, I don't know unless his brother's the same way, but he went to go visit his brother and on the 30th, he came home. So he'd only been there for a few days. But it would be interesting to see if, like, they ever compared. Um, so August 30th, he came home to L.A. to the bus station. Now, they knew this. So they actually had some undercover cops in this bus station. But they were dressed like homeless, right? Because that was, like, a big thing then. Well, he made them out because they were still, like, clean hair, perfect teeth. Like, he could tell that... You could tell something was off and that like the police were there and you just didn't quite know. So he hurry and left and he went like down the street to like a little corner Mart liquor store. That is where he sees his face plastered all over newspapers and he panics. So he goes, he leaves out of there and he goes to another bus. He hops on another bus and while he's on the bus, he's looking around, looking around and somebody is reading the newspaper and there's his face on there. And the person, they make eye contact. And this person does a little pulley thing and, like, stops the bus early, gets off, uses a payphone, because obviously we don't have, he doesn't have that yet, or that person didn't have that yet, cell phones. And, or he didn't have access to one. I'm not quite sure. I think cell phones were later in the 90s, right? <laughs> Anyways, didn't have anything like that. Had a call from a payphone. By this point, Richard gets off the bus and starts booking it through the neighborhoods. Well, that guy is like yelling to people like that's the night soccer. That's the guy on the newspaper. So he's kind of catching attention. And at this point, too, cops are also looking for him. Well, he keeps going through neighborhoods and people and backyards and people are calling saying there's a guy running through my neighborhood. And he tries to carjack a guy like from his own house, like his car was out. Didn't work out like he some reason he couldn't get the car going. I don't know what happened. It wasn't successful. So he kept running and he went to another woman's house and she was outside and he was like, give me your fucking keys, you know, doing the usual, like I'll fucking kill you, blah, 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 blah. And she started screaming. So her husband comes out and is like, what the fuck's happening? And he sees this guy and starts chasing him, chasing Richard. And so he grabs a two by four. And he ends up hitting Richard over the head. And then and then not while longer, like the whole fucking neighborhood is outside and everybody knows that that's this that's the night sucker that they're looking for and the suspect. And, you know, they're kind of beating him up. Well, he's able to kind of get up. And Richard even said flat out, I was fucking exhausted, like I couldn't run anymore. And he saw the police car coming down the street. And so he basically just went to them and was like, hey, take me, take me. <sighs> which is like, he just fucking gave up. Like what a fucking pussy. Like you're such a pussy. They always are. All of them always are. Ugh. and so at that point he is arrested. They have found the night stalker. Finally, 
people can get some fucking peace and go back to somewhat. Although I wouldn't, especially after that. You can't. It's like that's what that's what I don't get. All these serial killers in the 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s was the most predominant. And people still were like, oh, I just I trust everybody. I just uh, there's nobody bad out there. Like, no, hopefully, you know, most kept their doors locked. But I get what they mean by they want to feel safe where they live. I get that. Believe me. I know who people are. I want to know who people are. You're around my kid. I'm a freak about all my doors are locked. Windows are locked. I checked everything 50 times a night. Um, but so uh, his trial started on July 22nd. He was, he was uh, facing charges of 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of sexual assault, and 14 counts of burglary. I have a feeling there's way more of all of those. Um, but that's what he was actually um, charged with. Now, on September 20th, he was convicted. Every motherfucking charge he was guilty for. And he was sentenced on November 7th. Now, 88. So this this also took like two years to get him to go to trial. And they said this trial was like $1.8 million revenue, whatever, or cost $1.8 million or however they word it. And it was more than the OJ Simpson. I'm like, holy shit. Anyways, um, he was sentenced. He got, he got nine. Oh, 19, a total of 19 death sentences for his crimes. Um, crazy. So, now, here's here's another interesting thing. After they caught him, obviously they're going to look at other things. And there was some other suspected victims that they didn't necessarily specifically talk about too much because it was just suspected. Um, and it came out because of his DNA in 2009 that um, he... So... He killed a nine-year-old girl in 1984. So his DNA came back, like her and her brother were playing or whatever. He kidnapped her. So so, so it had already been starting back then. So he kidnapped her, sexually assaulted her, strangled her to death. And then he like, he almost like, I don't know if you guys might not know who the BTK killer is, but he basically like hung her from the, the pole, like the pipes by her sweatshirt and oh it just I I don't know so he he was that he was already in prison though so but his fingerprint did match her scene so that's 1984 and that was February 1984 so 84 and then these aren't this isn't until 85 this isn't until like February March of 85 that these start so from 84 to 85 like there's no way there there's no way but like they don't once he was like found guilty and in like they don't look into things anymore like they don't have a task force that's like oh we've you know over the years as you find bodies and stuff like that like oh yeah we're gonna I mean I'm sure people still will run like if you're doing cold cases and stuff obviously you'll probably run fingerprints and sometimes it has come up like oh that person's already in for doing something and now they know finally like what happened to that person you know, like John Wayne Gacy, like they're, they're still trying to identify, they're still trying to identify some of his victims. So, you know, that comes into play too. But so he had to have, he had to have had more. And if it wasn't for him just being 
he was just really sloppy. Like, it's what's crazy to me, and I get it because we didn't have technology very well then, but he wore gloves the whole time, so he was smart about that. But he just so random, but then would still do the same thing because he knew what his threats were. He knew what he wanted. And I'm sure some nights, again, I think it just depended on how things went is what he decided on. If he was going to sexually assault them, if he wasn't, if he was going to do this, if he was going to do that, you know what I mean? But it also sounds like, obviously, he was also doing that to children. Now, they decided early on that he that they could have investigated the children ones. But after talking to that little girl and stuff, they decided that they were going to be able to get him on everything else and like murders and stuff that they didn't want to have the kids come in and testify because that was the only thing they were going to be able to do. There was no other evidence. The kids were going to, we would have to come in, be re-traumatized and talk about what happened to them. And they decided not to do that. And so that was another reason why it wasn't really put together or brought up and it does not really talked about. Like when you look on Wikipedia and stuff like that, like it doesn't talk about that. But he was, he was absolutely responsible for those as well. Um, there was also, um, on June 27th, 85. So in the middle of those, uh, she wasn't discovered till July 2nd, which he also killed then. Um, but there was a 32 year old who she was like sexually assaulted. I mean, I don't know why sometimes they specify and they put sodomize. It's all the fucking same shit. Um, but he did, you know, he did that and then he strangled her cause there was marks, but he, then he also slit her throat. Like, so there is that one. Now they were going to prosecute him for that one, but they didn't have enough evidence. So that one is like, we know that he did that one, but they didn't end up prosecuting him. And then basically too, when he was arrested and convicted and they were driving to the prison, uh, Richard was like laughing and like, Hey, do you want to know something else detective? Because the detectives had been on the case for years you know, those five, six months and working so tirelessly and the whole time he's just fucking around and just like, ah, watch me get away with all these fucking awful, vile, gruesome, uh, murders, like scary as fuck ones too, breaking into your home while you're sleeping. God damn. Um, but he told them that there was two sisters, two sisters, uh, February 20th. So that's, that's right before, March 27th, or no, that's when it escalated, sorry. So the first one, of course, now I have to go. Oh, St. Patty's Day, duh. March 17th was the first body that they tied. So this was even before that, that he stabbed two sisters to death. So he definitely has way more victims out there and bodies. I don't, I'd assume not survivors, because maybe you would think that you would hear from him once he's he's caught, but um, there's no way, no mother trucking way that he doesn't have. And like I said, from that little girl all the way for almost a whole, almost a year, no way he did not do that to more children. And it is kind of interesting that he did that to her, but then the other kids he didn't end up killing. And, but then he did escalate to doing that to them. And then right after that, like the women and stuff. So I don't know. He, he's one of those where it, it it's like, how did he get that? I don't know if it's like the head injury the brain damage, because that's like a lot, like a big thing in a lot of those, a lot of the serial killers. But you know, they're also just born. Well, okay, that's the that's the big argument. I think that they're born. A lot of them are born with already. It's not even a deformed brain. I don't. I guess they're not born with it. When they are born, it immediately starts from then. However, you are nurtured and natured. 
So as a baby, if you are neglected and abused and as a toddler and like that's all you know, your brain is not going to develop in the frontal part where you like have emotions and where you rationally think. And so I think that is where that comes from. So it's not necessarily born with it. I think it immediately can be imprinted. And then if you have continuous abuse and a lot of these serial killers, you know, um, there's no emotions, no morals, no nothing where they kill the animals. They wet the bed because that's another big thing. Like they um, have such bad mental health. And like I said, the brain functions not some of it doesn't even work at all to where they wet the bed. They like to light things on fire. Like those are those are obviously that that trifecta that they talk about. But most of them you you hear about severe abuse, usually sexually, especially the ones that that's their crimes um, for years and years and years. And they're exposed to really horrific sexual things and porn and just things that that is all they know. And that's like normal to them. And then they just act out on it because I'm sure at some point you get all of the hormones and everything. They grow up and they are raging. They're raging. And then all they know is this just horrific shit. And to them, it might be funny. It might be cool. But like, I don't know. So with him and I get that the cousin was a huge influence, obviously seeing him kill his wife. Like, and I'm just, but I'm also just surprised, I guess, that it, that we don't know about anything earlier. I feel like he probably could have started as a teenager. Like after that, but we don't know. We don't know. They don't ever know. He never said anything about that. Uh, that motherfucking bitch, he made it like he did like 20 years and then he died of cancer. So nobody even got to see him executed anyways, which is just ugh, go figure. But yeah, he ended up dying of cancer in prison. So fuck him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Richard Ramirez, a night stalker. He is uh, the like one of the one of the sadistic. That's what I was looking for earlier, like sadistic um, sadistic sexual predators and stuff like that. Like he obviously had that in him and he was all about hell Satan. Like apparently he drew a pentagram on his palm. And then like when he went into court the first day or whatever, he was like hell Satan with his fucking shit. The other crazy thing. And I will talk about this in episode two is how people respond to killers, to people that do really bad things. Like the women that go after them and want them to marry them and they fall in love with them. I mean, I heard a witness, or a survivor. No, no, no. No, it was her grandmother. So on the documentary, one of them, her granddaughter was like in the courtroom. Was like, I had to go out for a minute. She's like, I just couldn't hear any more of this. And she goes out and she's sitting next to somebody. And she's like, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I wonder what what these people have to be involved in this. Like, are they victim? Like, are they survivors? Did they have a family member like me? And she looked over, like down next to her. And this kid had a fucking pentagrams tattooed into his palms and then and there she just realized that some of those people are there supporting him and that's that's another that's a whole nother psychology part of it that I will talk about that blows my mind that people are like oh you like rape children oh you like did that and killed children like you did some awful like terrorizing like mutilate like what like oh you're so I don't I don't know crazy shit man and that's that's another thing that's that's all that that's when I was I was saying on my social media like I just have so many ideas and so many parts of this that I want to talk about that it's so hard for me to keep episodes like that's why I'm doing them every two weeks so that I can like actually get them out and know what I'm doing and then eventually I should have one out for you every week and be on top of it 
and have it some sort of rhythm, but there's just so much I want to talk about that right now I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I just, <laughs> so, but I hope you guys are enjoying. Um, I can't wait to just continue to do more. And then, like I said, dive deeper into the psychology part of it, sociology, like all of that stuff, all those parts of it. I can't wait um, to get more into it, but I hope you guys enjoyed and I hope you have a great hour, month, minute, second, whatever, wherever we're at. And I hope life treating you guys well and just be motherfucking safe out there. Um, kind of almost like trust no one, but don't be a dick kind of status. <laughs> I guess that is, that is one of our hashy tags for this podcast. Um, not this series, but, um, yeah, just, just be careful, be protect, be, uh, be, um, well, you need to be protected, but I'm trying to say prepared. I'm having a morning, um, be prepared. Just know there, there actually is really awful human beings and there has been, and, and there will be. And, um, it's always good to, you know, be, be safe. Um, but also if you have this passion for this, uh, I love you and you're amazing and we're not warped. We're fine. If they didn't have people like us, then we wouldn't be able to catch these people. We wouldn't be able to, to do these things. Okay. Okay. Anyways, love you guys.